Thanks, Janet. Uh, one song I've found really encouraging over the years is Colin Buchanan's Press On Mums. Uh, we all know where to press on as God's people, but sometimes it helps to have some specifics, doesn't it? Just as though you're going to cook a meal, it's really helpful to have a recipe if you're someone like me who benefits from that direction. Let me read a few verses of Colin's song to you, which I think helps us even if we're not a a mum, a dad, or a child. Press on, mums, in all the chaos, look to Jesus through the tears. Press on, mums, God will guide you through those precious, tender years. Press on, dads, love your wife, serve your children, set the pace. Press on, dads, seize the moment, show them Jesus, run the race. And to the kids, Press on, kids. God adores you. He will hear you when you pray. Press on, kids. Love your family. Honour, serve, forgive, obey. It's one thing, isn't it, to know we're a Christian. It's another thing to be directed as a Christian. And it's precious when God's servants direct us in how we might live and follow Jesus. And that's the great blessing of the verses that we're going to enjoy together today. Last week, we saw that our lives are empowered by the Lord Jesus to live this newness of life, a godly life. And today, Peter, and and God through Peter, will set out for us a direction, a recipe. I won't try to match the kids' talk in in, uh, excitement. But there'll be a recipe, there'll be a list of attributes, a path for us to follow, a way to go that is good for us and will surely lead us to our good shepherd at the end of all things. So I've called this talk, The Path of Life. What is the path? What is the way God sets out for us? Well, God gives us, his citizens of heaven, seven new coordinates, a new heavenly direction in which to sail with his breeze blowing us all the way. Listen to the way God appeals through Peter's words in verse 5. For this very reason, that is, having God's presence and his promises and his power, Make every effort to add to your faith, your foundational faith. That's how we come to to God. Add to your faith, firstly, goodness. This word literally is a word um, meaning virtue, Um, praiseworthiness. If you think of living virtuously, I wonder what comes to mind. And, And to what degree are you living a praiseworthy, virtuous life? Uh, To help me think about that, Proverbs 31 is helpful, a woman of virtue. And as Ashley said in in the kids' talk, I think there are many people around us as well who give evidence or or show what it's like as faithful models of these things. People who have followed the virtuous one for many years, and now we can describe them as quite virtuous people, people we can trust, people who love us. Look at the people around you in this congregation now. So many people are living commendable lives. I feel very free to leave my wallet here in a way I wouldn't leave on a train station. We hear it from God's word, but also in God's kindness, we get to see it when we're part of a church community. And to goodness, second, Peter adds knowledge. Knowledge really starred last week, didn't it? Um, In the first few verses, and here it is again. Knowing the Lord Jesus learning to see the world his way. This will mean that we 
can expect to see things very differently from the way the world sees it. And so we see that in, in popular culture today, don't we, when our world seems confused about gender and sexuality, the, the value of human life. Our lost world needs the knowledge of God. And we can be a blessing to our world by sharing the great benefit of knowing God and knowing how he sees things, how things are. Verse 6, Peter says, Thirdly, add to knowledge self-control. If we're not in control of our lives and ourselves, who is, we might ask? If we're not consciously directing our diet, our routines, our physical condition, our desires, our temper, our tongue, our lust for money or possessions, if we're not in control of these things, who is? And so are you someone who lashes out? Uh, Do you have destructive binges that you'd be better off without? Do you live by preferences rather than what is better, even best? It's a different way of thinking about life, isn't it? We can actually live according to what is best rather than just what we like more. But what a breakthrough awareness of this gift of the Holy Spirit is for us, this fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Remember Peter last week? He said, look at you. Look at what God is doing in you, empowered now to live like Jesus. Well, now I think he's telling us that godliness won't come by accident. It doesn't come by osmosis. No, Peter points us now to self-control, to choices, resolutions, habits that are developed with a regular desire to conform ourselves with Christ's ways. And so we might be in a situation in our household or at work where we think, I should say sorry, but I'll just let it pass. No, I should say sorry, so I'll say sorry. I could take control of my out-of-control work schedule, so I will take control of my out-of-control work work schedule or my screen time or whatever we need to control. I'm wallowing again in cynicism, self-pity, resentment, but I'm not stuck in that. Lord, will you replace those thoughts with thankfulness and lead me to a better way? Mastery over ourselves. The world craves this. And Christians have it with the help of the Holy Spirit. I wonder how much you're tapping into that power and how aware of it you are. Well, Peter urges us to give every effort, verse 5, to cultivate his ways in our day-to-day lives. Out with the old and in with the new. Again and again to resemble the ways of Jesus. For self-control, fourthly, he says perseverance. So Tuesday's self-control builds on Monday's self-control. That is, we press on day after day, repenting from sin, pursuing little miraculous victory after little miraculous victory. Now, I don't know about you, my life doesn't seem overly exciting. Life often isn't. But much faithful living occurs just in plodding on, getting up again, our long obedience in the same direction. You might spend half an hour this afternoon just thinking about and envisioning your future stronger self. Because I take it you'll be stronger in a year's time, five years' time, 20 years' time than you are now. And why not plan for that? What are the changes that have developed to become the better you? When we watched our kids running in a cross-country in Armadale, I might have shared this with some of you, I was so pleased with them. Uh, Neither of our older boys had run much 
during our years in Mongolia. But as we came back and we heard the cross-country was on, Ashley started the boot camp up down at the local park. And we were amazed. They made it into the district race. hope I'm not embarrassing my son. But as I watched them come out of the trees into the arena, to the stadium, they weren't near the front, but what amazed me was that they were still running. And I watched them as a proud dad thinking, keep going. You may not feel like you're going very well, but I'm so proud of the way your little legs keep running. Keep going. Your dad, who delights in you, thinks you're going so well. If we're not careful, God can become like a policeman in the sky, watching for the things we do wrong. But is he not described more in the scriptures to us as his children, as our loving father who delights in us? This is my son with whom I am well pleased, was intended for the Lord Jesus, but also all of us in him. And so if it's hard work honouring your parents, respecting your spouse, keep going. Resisting pornography, caring for people, keep going. If you're on a path devoted to Jesus, would not God our Father say, keep going, little legs, keep going. Perseverance, it's a wonderful gift from God to keep living his way. And to perseverance, Peter adds, fifthly, godliness. Godliness, like knowledge from verse 3, it's reappearing for its importance. A godly person is someone who has become very aware of God through their life, treating God as God. Not resentful that God's there, but actually delighting in God's presence that doesn't go away. Living with the awareness that God is awesome and holy. Yes, he's our judge, but he's also near and he's good and he's gracious at the same time. Verse 7, to godliness, mutual affection, or some translations say brotherly love. Uh, This is a word translating the Greek word Philadelphia, a word we're familiar with, brotherly love, love within a family. So who is our family as Christians? Well, Jesus pointed to his disciples when he was asked that question. Here are my my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my father brother and sister and mother. And so recently I've been speaking to us as a church of the importance of moving from friendly to friends as a church. And I hear and see great examples of that going on. Uh, Meals being delivered by home groups, transport being offered when needed, an outing that would have been an individual outing that becomes a group outing or a family outing plus one or plus two, inclusion going on. Um, I I use that expression deliberately from friendly to friends because we hear a lot about being a family. Um, But it doesn't cut through sometimes. And so friendly to friends is a way perhaps we can take an incremental step towards the higher ideal of family. That's where we want to get to. Family are those who draw near when babies arrive or they make contact when we get old and appreciate a visit perhaps, or phone calls. Family are those who check in from time to time and make sure we're going okay. To mutual affection, number seven, Peter adds love. To Philadelphia, add agape. To brotherly love, add love. Recently, by the way, many of you filled out church survey results 
And one of the um, lower scores, and I'll look to share that in the coming weeks in a helpful way, one of the lower scores on the survey was about a clear sense of our strategy to reach the community around us with the gospel. Fair enough, that's um, something we need to think about as a new team and a new chapter of the church life. And though I pray more strategies like Case Central perhaps will develop over time, having just read the book of Acts together, it seems clear to me that we ourselves are the primary strategy for reaching the community around us. Not one event here and another event there or some program, good though they may be. Our most powerful and consistent tool is to be our godly selves, a loving community that we can bring others into. An invitation here, a home group there, a Sunday or a Wednesday, people coming into our lives. Do you remember when the visitor enters the church in Corinth, Paul says, uh, someone will enter the gathering where God is being worshipped, fall on his face and conclude, God is really among you. So it's as we are the people of God that people will find the Lord Jesus, both in the buildings and out in the workplaces and in the streets. The significance of love as a strategy. To Philadelphia add agape, to brotherly love add love. Not clumsy repetition, but it's emphasis, as Peter does in his first letter as well. He wants to say, DPC, don't miss the chief Christian virtue of love. Whatever you do in life, don't forget to love people. It's a great leveller, isn't it? Some might think it's intelligence or wealth or some other thing sets us apart from others. Love actually lowers us, um, levels us out. So the greatest among us should be the most loving, not the most proud about how great we are. I'm the pastor of a megachurch, really? Well, I hope then you are a very loving pastor of a megachurch. That's wonderful. I'm a Presbyterian, Baptist, Anglican. Okay, but are you a loving one? Do you like people in the congregation you're in? Do they know you like them and have time for them? But I'm impressive, I say. Look at my CV. Look at my profession. Look at my income and how I've made it in the world. Okay, but are you a model of Jesus' love in your profession? as you earn that mighty income? Is your family impressed by your success? Or is your treatment of them dampening their praise? Christ's example has inspired millions of Christians throughout the centuries to great effect. That's where the money is, so to speak. What greater pursuit is there for us than love itself? And one day it's good to know, isn't it, that we'll be perfectly loving. Now it feels like really hard work. Then it will be more natural for us. For now, since we want to be more like Jesus, we can just try loving people more. He'll help us with that. If we want to be more like Jesus, we can love people more. Now, let's just take a breath. I don't know if you're feeling overwhelmed by a to-do list here. We've got seven things to focus on. Uh, It might feel like a self-help book. It might feel like a ladder to make it to God. Well, that's not the intention. We don't walk this path in order to be saved. Rather, the Lord leads the saved to walk this path. And so verse 3, remember, the Lord's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. 
And now we're having the opportunity to see what that godliness looks like. And so we might pray, Lord, with your power, with your wind in my sails, with these good, noble directions now clear, with a compass for my life, so help me, God, I resolve this very day to more earnestly walk your way. Perhaps you've been drifting along as a Christian for too long. And so, Lord, because of your grace and with your grace, I want to start a whole new chapter of my life today. I might pause just a moment so you can make that your prayer right now. In the last verses, from verses 8 to 11, Peter gives the why. Um, a lot of us know the way. We need help with the why. Why would we change? Well, firstly, Peter says, following Jesus' path of life will make you fruitful. Just as Jesus had taught Peter, if you think of John 15, abide in me and you'll bear fruit that lasts. Peter reiterates this for us in different words. Verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive, unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Fruitfulness follows Christian character. So when I taught at a Bible college, many students would be wondering, what should I do after college? I want to live a life that's fruitful for Christ. The biggest determinant of fruitfulness is not where one lives or even what vocation one has. Important though these conversations are and decisions. Now, the critical question is whether you are a fruitful character. Living a fruitful life, having a fruitful character, or are you tolerating the antonyms, the opposites of these Christian traits? I thought about the antonyms and I would list them as seven alternatives, something like this to be morally compromised, to be inattentive to Scripture. To be sporadic as a Christian, irreverent, relationally unavailable, and self-consumed. To the extent we lack the virtues, we're living with these vices. And yet what good have any of these vices brought to our lives in the past that we would be loyal to them, to hold on to them instead of the alternative? What joy, what peace has rejecting Christ's way brought us? Why owe them one more minute of defence or loyalty. When we drift along, we're settling for the ugly alternatives. The the standards of our upbringing, perhaps the standards of our birth culture, whatever it is that we get our moral compass from, they must bow to the beautiful standards of Jesus himself. Secondly, Christ's ways make us confirmed and steady. If for some reason we are stuck in our ways, if we're more loyal to our own programming than to Christ's reprogramming, Peter might lovingly say, are you so blind to the spiritual blessings you now enjoy as Christ's forgiven people? 
Open your eyes, as he said earlier. Look at you. Peter says in verse 9 there, whoever does not have them, these traits of Christ, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Your sins surely are past sins, are they not? Forgiven and cleansed. Why on earth would you resent leaving them behind? Why would you cling to them? Why would you be sceptical of the path that Christ is laying out and not making every effort to pursue it? And so verse 10, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, again, he says, as he did in verse 5, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. I sometimes wonder if our, in our salvation by grace, clear um, culture in Sydney, we've underestimated the value of striving as Christians. It's something the Puritans understood really well, replacing the old and putting on the new very deliberately. If you do these things, you will not stumble. And so Christian stumbling is a very hard thing for home group leaders, for pastors, for elders to bear when we see it. When we see people who are in a group move to the fringes and out and then make choices that are going to hurt them. Instead, we're wanting to see stable maturity. Unrepentant sin or following our, our fleshly desires leaves us person's salvation and election unconfirmed. And so the question, are you God's child for certain? Or does your lifestyle say, well, the jury's out. We can't be sure. I'm not even sure because I, I'm not sure if I want to go Christ's way. Peter knew he was Christ, and he says we can know that too by walking with him. Following Jesus' way thirdly means we'll be richly welcomed into Jesus' eternal kingdom as we come to the last verse. And you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord, not just our Lord, but also our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so we press on with God's help and powerful uh, support towards this rich welcome into uh, this eternal kingdom. That's our future. For Jess and Layla, for Greg and Laura Lee, I won't go around the church, for each of you, who call God your Father and Jesus your Saviour, welcome. Sheep of the Good Shepherd, you followed your Master's voice. Welcome. Welcome. When your feelings and every appearance of things tell you to give up on this ritual of church or this person of Jesus who bucks against our culture, press on. If you're battling as a Christian, perhaps feeling broken or spent, afraid, or just feeling like a lousy, failing disciple, what do you think God might be saying to you today? I think knowing Jesus, if you belong to him, I think he'd be kinder and much more hopeful about you than you might be about yourself. He might remind you, indeed he is reminding you now through his word, that it is his power, his enabling, his grace that will sustain you when you feel you've got nothing left. A father who loves his children won't condemn them while they're stumbling with tears towards him. 
And the God I know will pick you up with his love. He'll care for you. He'll assure you he is with you and he'll encourage you to keep going. The Lord Jesus might say, I know living in the world hurts. I know your pain. Keep walking in my ways as I carry you through this because I am bringing you home. Let's pray. Our Lord, we celebrate all that you've done for us. You've cleansed us from sin that hurts us. And you've given us a path of life that is sinless. Uh, Father, in our struggle to put off the flesh and to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, both by your decree but also by our experience and our choices, we rejoice that it is your spirit and your help that is our strength. And Lord, that in this sense, we are as strong as you because you're on our side. Give us a sense of encouragement as we go today, knowing the way ahead and knowing the one who is leading us on it. In Jesus' name, amen. I think Joe is going to lead us as we continue in.